Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 19 of Heart to Heart. I'm so happy to be able to meet with you again. I know that it's been a while since I've recorded consistently. I have finished my Army training over a year ago, and I'm over a year into into my marriage with my wife, my beautiful wife, Michelle. So I've been working on just re- visiting and reconstructing and just reorganizing myself in different ways and I'm I counted a blessing to be able to 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 just get back to recording these podcasts and sharing with you all as best as I understand at the moment God's love and God's message of salvation for us so again I I don't take the stance that I know it all that I'm an expert in anything that I'm sharing. God is eternal. God is big. And God reveals himself incrementally. And we grow in our understanding as we receive more and more from what he's revealing to us. So I'm just here sharing with you as a brother and as a friend. And let's go ahead and get started with this journey together. Today, we're going to be talking about the fact that before we can rise, we must descend. And I'm going to go ahead and pray and ask that God would give us help as we go on this journey together. Heavenly Father, I pray for myself. I pray for the listeners and ask that you would help us. We're in a world where there's so much different information, so much knowledge about everything. And... We need help understanding ourselves. We need help understanding the world around us. We need help understanding you. So I just pray and ask that you would bless us with the ability to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we can rise, family and friends, we must be willing to descend. You see, the desire of achievement is very natural and it's also healthy. Yet when it's misguided by unrealistic expectations, it becomes dangerous. Many children expect to accomplish what it took their parents years to earn in just a fraction of the time. For example, give me the house, give me the paid off car, give me the rock solid marriage, but don't give me the process of having to sleep on a blow up mattress or eat at a card table that folds out. I don't want to go through that process of building. Just give me the big house already with all of the expensive furnishing. And I don't want to go through the season of driving a vehicle that it's good enough to get me where I need to go, but it doesn't have the bells and whistles. It doesn't look good enough for me to show off in front of others. I want my first car to be something that I can show off to everybody. That's the mindset. I want to skip going through the season of driving the hoopty <laughs> because I want to go straight to the icing on the cake. And when it comes down to relationships and marriage, I want it to be rock solid. I, we want we want the, the trust to already be built. We don't want to go through the season of having to develop love and having to grow in understanding and 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 work through differences no 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 forget that part the mindset of many is give me the rock solid trust 
Give me all of the good looks. Give me the understanding and give me the great sex. That's what we want. But we don't want to go through the season and the hardship of what it takes to build the foundation that's required for such relationships. That's required for such financial stability. That's required to even have mental and emotional stability within ourselves. There are many parents who have asked themselves the question, have we destroyed our children by making their lives too easy? By not allowing them to struggle on their own and develop a mature understanding of how cause and effect actually work? Proverbs chapter 15 verse 33 says the reverent fear of the Lord that is worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome is the instruction for wisdom, its starting point and its essence. And before honor comes humility. In Matthew chapter 20 verses 20 to 23, it tells us of a time where Jesus was approached by the mother of James and John, two of his disciples. And she said to Jesus, will you let both of my sons sit on your throne, one on your left hand and one of your right, one on your right hand? You see, she wanted her sons to experience sitting on the throne with Jesus. She wanted her sons to rise to to, to, to a place of, of, of high achievement. She wanted her sons to experience being honored. She wanted her sons to experience having prestige. And this is a this is a a, a common desire. Okay, nothing was wrong with the desire in and of itself. But notice how Jesus responded to her. He said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am about to be baptized with? You see, he made it clear that in order to sit on my throne, you have to also go through the difficult process that's required to prepare you for that throne. Yes, you can reign with me, but you also must suffer with me. And see, family and friends, it's the suffering that actually prepares us for the reigning. Before we can rise, we must ascend. There is no higher place that we human beings can occupy than to be identified with Christ in character. In character. In the beginning, Jehovah declared, let us make mankind in our image. Genesis 1, 27. And since the infection of sin, the mission of the Godhead has been, let us restore mankind back into our image. Ephesians 4 verse 24. Let's take, let's travel back and let's, let's go back to the days of the disciples. And let's take a look at Peter, a brief look, but let's take a look at Peter, right? Peter was a fisherman. He was aggressive, he was proud, he was self-confident, yet Jesus was able to transform this man into an apostle, a leader in the church, a man who was trusted with responsibility, who was thoughtful and considerate and self-aware. But before Peter was able to ascend 
or rise to the position of being a trusted leader in God's church. He had to descend into the place where he realized that his trust in himself was not something that he was able to place his foundation on. He had to realize that he was no longer able to live according to his own wisdom and his own knowledge and his own strength and instead live according to the knowledge, wisdom and strength of the Lord. Let's go back a little further in history to King Nebuchadnezzar. In the book of Daniel, this man is spoken of. It said that King Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind and he began to eat grass and dirt and he was carrying on just like the just like the cows and the pigs that he once raised. And he once heard a voice where God spoke to him and he learned how to give praise and honor to the living God versus hoarding praise and honor for himself, which is what led to him losing his mind. Now, some people look at this story and say, well, God caused him to lose his mind because of how proud he was. But I want to share something with y'all. We are the manufacturers of our own mental illness in, in many cases. I'm not speaking about Alzheimer's. I'm not speaking about dementia. I'm speaking about how we have this explosion of mental illness. When we stop and think about it, if we really learn to take inventory of our thought life, and I'm speaking from personal experience, we'll realize that we are feeding ourselves thoughts and beliefs that are actually destroying ourselves. So it is King Nebuchadnezzar, whose foundation at that time in his life was built on trust in self, was built on pride, where he thought that he was God. He thought that people owed it to him to worship him. He thought that he was the was the was the ninth wonder of the world. Those thoughts eventually resulted in his downfall. And God in his grace and mercy revealed the way of escape for him. He revealed the medicine for him when he said, "Hey, all you have to do is turn your attention to me. You're not able to sustain yourself, but I am." And it says in the book of Daniel about King Nebuchadnezzar. But at the end of the days, that is at the, at the seven periods of time, I Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven and my understanding, my understanding and reason to return to me. And I blessed the most high God and I praised and honored and glorified him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. God restored King Nebuchadnezzar, but before he was able to rise back to his throne, he had to descend to a place of humility. Before we rise, we must descend. Let's go back a little further in history and take a look at Joseph. Joseph the dreamer. The book of Genesis speaks about him. Joseph, the, 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 the youngest of his, of his parents' children, who had a dream that one day his parents and his older brothers would be bowing down to him and taking orders from him. When Joseph told his dream to his family, they laughed at him and eventually his brothers betrayed him. Joseph was his father's favorite and he was being prepared to occupy a high position. But before he was able to rise to that position, he had to 
experienced some suffering which helped to prepare him for that position. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. They sold him into slavery. They actually wanted to kill him, but then they decided to sell him as a slave. He was in prison. He was left in a land that he knew that, that he was not familiar with and he was separated from his family. Imagine that the youngest of his parents, the youngest brother, his his daddy's favorite was now thrown out into a wilderness like environment with nobody to turn to except God. Imagine the depression. Imagine the stress. Imagine the anxiety. Imagine the temptations to commit suicide. What else do you have to live for? Nevertheless, Joseph, he rose from the, the dark cell of, a, of the prison to being a prince in Egypt. And later, when his, when his parents and brothers needed him the most, he was equipped to fulfill the role of responsibility that only the experiences of suffering was able to prepare him for. Wow. And before we wrap it up, we're going to go back a little further, actually just one generation before Joseph. And we're going to take a look at his father, Isaac. In Genesis 25, it tells us. And I, excuse me, uh, we're not going to go back to Isaac. We're going to go back to his father because Isaac was was Joseph's grandfather. But. Jacob was Joseph's father, and that's where we're going to work our way up to and finish off today's episode with Joseph. It says that Isaac pleaded on behalf of his wife, who wasn't able to have children, Rebecca, and he prayed that she would be able to give birth. She gave birth to two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the father's favorite and Jacob was his mother's favorite. The divine revelation, the Godhead, they told the parents that contrary to popular tradition, the oldest son, Esau, would actually serve the youngest son, Jacob. Genesis 25. Genesis 27 tells us that as Isaac was preparing to finally die, he asked his oldest son, Esau, to go out prepare a meal for him so that way he can receive the blessing. This was this was a part of the tradition before the father died. He blessed the oldest son with the inheritance, with the birthright. However, Rebecca stepped in and she told her youngest, she told her son, her favorite son, who was the youngest, Jacob. She told Jacob everything that was going on in the tent between Esau and and his father, she told Jacob, hey, you got to hurry up, go and get some food for your father. I'm going to go ahead and make it just like he wants it. And I'm going to dress you up. So that way, since your father is almost about to die, he won't be able to tell the difference between you and Esau. And instead of Esau receiving the blessing, you would receive the blessing. Now, this was conniving. This was uh, this was a trickery. This was dishonest. And I want you to know Jacob, the name Jacob means deceiver. It means supplanter. 
And Jacob, years before, when his brother Esau was starving for food, he said to Esau, I will give you a bowl of food if you sell me your birthright. Esau didn't care much about the birthright. As much as we know, Esau did not care much about spiritual things or eternal things. He wasn't the type of person who would wait uh, on, on things, whatever he wanted. If he can have it right away, that's what he did. He went and got it, no matter how it turned out, no matter who was affected. Jacob, on the other hand, was a more patient son. So from that aspect, we can see that Jacob was a little more spiritual, whereas Esau was more carnal, more fleshly, more natural. And Rebecca, his mom, basically taught him to deceive his father. So we see that Jacob had a pattern of being under the instruction of his mother and also being deceptive versus walking by faith and trusting in the living God. After Jacob tricked his father and Esau found out, Esau made up his mind to kill his brother. He was so enraged because you see the birthright, when you receive the birthright and the, and the blessing from the father, the son who received it received the blessing from God. Along with the birthright was the, was the earthly inheritance. So you, you received the wealth that your father had acquired. But you also receive the spiritual responsibility to be the priest of your home. Again, it was looked at as you receive God's blessing. And Esau didn't receive that because it was given to Jacob. So he felt betrayed. Jacob then ran for his life after receiving instructions from his mother and father as to where to go. He ran to another land or another country where he met up with his uncle Laban. And he worked for his uncle Laban. He worked for his uncle Laban for 20 years. But let me break it down. So he came in contact with his uncle Laban's daughter, Rachel, fell in love with her. And back then it was common for them to marry relatives. He fell in love with Rachel and he, he agreed to work seven years to marry her. And when he woke up after the honeymoon night, he realized that instead of waking up next to Rachel, the woman who he was in love with, he woke up next to Leah, the older sister who wasn't as attractive as Rachel as Rachel. He was he was he was he was upset, to say the least. But this was Jacob's first experience of drinking the same bitter cup of deception that he oftentimes gave to other people to drink. His uncle had deceived him and he had to work another seven years to finally get the woman who he wanted from the beginning, who was Rachel. I want to share with you and I want to emphasize how Jacob had received the birthright. He received the blessing, but he wasn't yet prepared to feel the role of responsibility that was required. 
Now he was in an area, he was in a land and an environment where he had no one to turn to but God. He couldn't lay on his mother's lap like he was accustomed to. Remember, he was his mama's baby boy, favorite son. So I'm sure there were times where he laid down and I'm not sure, but I, I imagine that there were times where he came and sat down at his mother's lap and just poured out his heart and she comforted him like a mother, loving mother would. Yet his mother was no longer there. His father was no longer there. Here he was, ran away from home a boy and now forced to become a man. Along the way, he made a deal with God and said, God, after God gave him a vision and promised that he would be with him, he said, God, if you will be with me, like you said, I will walk with you. I will live for you. Now he was in an environment where he was forced to learn how to trust in God. But let's look at the ways God trained him. It was through suffering. Here it is. He's married to a woman who he did not want to be married to. He was tricked by his uncle and, he's, and he was forced to work an additional seven years for the woman who he wanted. Now, if you think about it, Jacob was raised in an environment where he, was, where he learned to be entitled. He learned to, to receive things by, by, by charisma by trickery, and now he's in, in an environment where none of that stuff worked. He had to grind for everything that he wanted. He couldn't depend on, on, on charisma. He had to depend on proving himself as a man, showing that his word was valuable, showing that he was able to perform the tasks at hand, and by standing in trust and in faith with the living God for himself. Well, after working those 14 years for his wife, Rachel, now he has two wives plus concubines because they had their servants that they allow him to sleep with and he had more children. Now he's a father. So you can see how responsibility helped transform him from a boy into a man. He also worked an extra six years for the animals, for the cattle, which was considered wealth back in the day. You had cattle, you had wealth. And he worked 20 years. So imagine the grind that he put in for 20 years. Imagine the transformation that took place within him as a person, as a man. He finally decided he was ready to go back home after receiving a vision from God. On his way back home, he was reminded of the hatred of his brother that his brother had for him 20 years before. And he told his family, I'm afraid that my, that my brother is going to try to kill all of us. So I'm going to split you up. Half of you go this way. Half of you go that way and take these gifts with you. So that way, if Esau finds you, if he's still angry, maybe he would forgive you and will forgive me and spare you of your be spare your life because of these gifts. And he sent his family ahead of him and he. He decided to stay back and be alone with God. Again, I'm, 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 I'm summarizing, but this is all from Genesis 25 to Genesis 32. And in Genesis 32, it tells us that Jacob, while he was one on one with God, it says that he wrestled with God. 
And it says that he wrestled all night with God and that he prevailed with God. And at one point, the angel of God said to him, let me go because Jacob had a hold on him. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, think about it. Jacob had wealth. He had the woman who he always who, who he des, who he always desired, plus more. He had children. What was it that he was asking for in regards to a blessing? Jacob at this time did not have peace of mind regarding facing his brother. There was something in his past that he had not yet found peace with that was still tormenting him. And when he said, I need you to bless me, I believe Jacob was asking to be healed in that area of brokenness that was still crippling him. God said to him, you will no longer be called Jacob, which means deceiver and supplanter, but now you will be called Israel, which means prince with God or prince of God. God gave him a new name, which represented a new character, a new way of living. Once upon a time, he lived according to charisma, according to trickery. Now he lived according to faith, according to integrity, according to trust in the living God. Jacob now walked with a limp, but he walked with a new name. That limp that Israel now had in his hip that was given to him from that wrestling match with the angel. That limp helped remind him that his name had been changed. Help remind him that he had prevailed while he wrestled with God. Help remind him that he was a new person because I'm sure the devil tried to come and tell him things in his mind that, hey, remember, you're the same old guy. You're the same deceiver. You know, nothing's different or changed about you. But as he walked with that limp, he, he was constantly reminded that, no, 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 I'm a new man. I remember that night when I wrestled with God and I remember when God spoke to me and said, I'm giving you a new name. Your name is now Israel because you are a prince in God's kingdom. You're no longer Jacob the deceiver. And thankfully, his older brother had received him with open arms. And Jacob had been transformed into Israel. However, family and friends, I want to close with this thought. Jacob, before he was able to be transformed into Israel, before he was able to walk in newness of life, he had to descend. He had to go to that place where he had to spend those 20 years building and developing a new character to help prepare him to feel the responsibility that was his to fulfill as priest of his family and as the recipient of the birthright. We all desire to rise in our career fields. We want our names to represent something great. We want others to respect us. We want to do great things in the world. But I want each of us to know that we have to be willing to descend into the places of preparation that's required for those, those places of responsibilities. It's not enough just to want fame and fortune. We want the character that only God can help establish that will help prepare us for that and also help us sustain that. Because if you're not able to sustain fame and fortune, 
That stuff will poison, corrupt, and ultimately destroy us. And history tells too many sad stories of people's lives that have ended that way. Before we can rise, we must descend. And Jesus the Christ gave us the perfect example when he chose to descend down to this place called Earth, put on flesh and blood and experience life as you and I experience it. And when he chose to die, he chose to descend. He was not able to ascend or to rise back to his throne in the heavenly realm until after he completed his work. And in the book of John, it tells us that he said, it is finished before he breathed his last breath. He descended. He took the blows that was that were ours to take. He experienced being ignored, being made fun of, being abused, being misunderstood. He 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 experienced all of that for me and for you. And when he rose from the grave through the power of God, he ascended back to claim his throne above. He gave us the example. And he also gave us the power family and friends to do the same. So remember, before we can rise, we must ascend. Don't cheat yourself of all the lessons that are before you to learn in your season of suffering and, ch and challenge, because they're helping to prepare you to feel the responsibilities, to fulfill the responsibilities and sit in the seat that God will have you to sit in. So be encouraged. And don't cheat yourself of all the lessons that are in front of you to learn. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment we've been able to share. And I ask that you will help us to grow. Help us to grow in our faith in you and our trust in you. Our love for, for, for each other. And help us also to grow in how we value ourselves. Knowing that. We are worth it because if we weren't worth it, you wouldn't have given your only son for us. So we are worth the investment that you are investing in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you would like prayer, uh, if you would like me to answer or attempt to answer any particular questions you have from the Bible or just about spiritual things, I'm willing to go on the journey with you. You can email me at jcourage. C-O-U-R-A-G-E, Riley, R-I-L-E-Y, at gmail.com. And you can also text me at 786-419-7404. Be encouraged.